back to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at Steinway & Sons, and for the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. I took a bit of a global pandemic hiatus with the podcast, but am back in the game. Thanks for your patience. Great to be here. My guest today is Steinway artist Matt Rawlings, a pianist, producer, composer, and arranger whose performance discography spans sessions with such diverse artists as Eric Clapton, Lyle Lovett, Johnny Cash, and Metallica. His forthcoming album, Matt Rawlings' Mosaic, is available August 14th. Rawlings spoke to me on Skype. Matt, thank you for joining me via Skype today. I love doing podcasts in person, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Are you in L.A. or are you in Nashville? I'm in Nashville. I've lived in both places, but I've, the majority of the last 30 years have been spent in Nashville. Fantastic. So. I love Nashville. I come down every October for the Jack and Back. Oh, you're and, a cyclist. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I, I, me too. That's yeah. fantastic. I grew up in East Tennessee in Oak Ridge outside of Knoxville. Fantastic. I've played a bunch with Alison Krauss over the years, but for the last three years, I've toured with her and Barry Bales the bass player, who's a longtime Allison Krauss and Union Station member, lives, he doesn't live in Oak Ridge, but he lives outside of Knoxville. He's a farmer. When he's not playing music, he's one of the greatest bass players you'll ever hear, but when he's not playing music, he's a full-time farmer in East Tennessee in that neck of the woods. Wow. Hey, so you mentioned Allison Krauss. Why don't we start with her? Because you've worked with a lot of legends, and I'd love to know what you picked up from some of them. And, and Alison Krauss was on my list of folks to ask you about. Tell me something you, you learned from her that you didn't know before. That's a great question. Allison, for the last three tours I've done with her, we open the show, whether it's a solo, you know, Alison Krauss evening with no openers, or it's a festival and maybe the Avett brothers have just played something rowdy and loud, or we're doing dates with Willie Nelson. Regardless, we open the show with this great old Roger Miller song called River in the Rain that she recorded, that she she had on her most recent record, which is Windy City. And it starts with just her and I, soft and slow. And, you know, she's Alison Krauss. The minute she starts singing, it's, you know, something happens. Something happens in the air, like the air changes. But no matter what's happened before, the minute she starts singing and we start playing this slow quiet song it's like you can hear a pin drop it's as if somebody just turned like a rheostat on on the volume of the crowd and it just goes down to nothing i think she calls it a soft hello Mm. and uh it's such a powerful thing to experience an artist who doesn't feel the need to come out with guns blazing for fear that that's what the audience wants somehow. She just uh, is so committed to the intent and the melody. You know, she's brilliant. Her instrument and her instincts and all of it are so incredible. To me, it's such a bold and courageous thing to start a show with something slow and quiet and then you watch the audience and they're in. I mean, it's within seconds, she has them. The question was, what have I learned? I think for me, it's if I play something that's true and authentic it's going to hit hit an audience that way that's how you get to them mm. it's, it's not that i need to play something loud and fast or flashy or check out all my licks which not that i have a lot of licks but you know check out what i can do no like it's this jump here's my heart i'm here and i'm going to share with you 
what it is that I actually have, and it's an invitation. So I, I'd like to invite you to join me in this. And it's a super powerful thing. Every night we do it, it's just, it, it hits me in the same way. It's remarkable. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. And that mirrors what I heard um, Roseanne Cash. When I talked to her, she talked about she gets a feel from the audience and she knows whether she needs to end the show with a bang or with a whisper like that. Mm, yeah. She, it's the reverse Krauss, perhaps. So have you heard the entirety of the record yes. of Matt Rawlings' Mosaic? Yes, I have. Okay, you have. Good. So you've heard the song, that because I was going to say, the song she sings, uh, Stay. which is called Stay, yeah, which is mm -hmm. an original. I wrote with another Allison, actually, with a, an, a, an amazing artist named Allison Porter. And uh, so that's one of the first songs that her and I wrote and was on a record we made together in 2014. And Allison Krauss's you know, her her read of it is so much in the spirit of what I what I just described. She sings the melody softly, but somehow Alison Krauss singing soft is there's so much power to it to me. I don't it's a mystery. I don't really know how she how she does that. But, uh, you know, that's what makes her her her. That track stay on your album is one of my favorites because first of what you've just described in her singing. But I really love the soft warm touch that you have on that song thank you um it's a hallmark for you but i really hear it in that song just this uh this cloud of support mm. that you provide I like for that her. cloud of support i'm gonna use that <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yours for free <laughs> that's great thank you And thank you for for saying that. That song is very special to me. When Allison Porter and I wrote that, um, she had a brand new baby, and my son was probably four at the time. And so we really wrote that about our children and the eventuality of them, you know, leaving and just just all of that. So I have a real deep deep connection to it. And uh, all of the tracks on this record were recorded with just Jay Belarus, the drummer, and I. And the artist, any bass, any strings, any, any anything other than piano, drums, and the artist was was done as an overdub. The artists were isolated, but Jay and I, for all of this, were always in the same room. So there's leakage everywhere. There's no opportunity to fix anything. It's just a performance. It's what happened in that moment. And 95% of all of the vocals on the record are are live with the track, in, including Allison's. You have another legend on this album, a living legend, Willie Nelson. Tell me about tell me about what you learned from Willie. <laughs> I've learned a lot from Willie. I've played on records. Um, I've done a lot of live shows with him. I've produced, co-produced two two records on Willie, and I'm working on a third. To me, Willie, the idea of not sweating the the small stuff, like Willie has taken that to high art, and he has a he has a just a beautiful, open, supportive, joyful presence 
every time, like always. So with me, what happens when I'm around Willie is I I get to be reminded that um, all of the stuff that I worry about, you know, which is which is always about stuff that doesn't really exist, meaning the future, like something that hasn't happened yet. All of that stuff doesn't doesn't matter, and and I have an opportunity to connect in this moment and actually have an experience. You know, that's that's not about what might happen, what might not happen, what I might lose, what I might not, any of that garbage that my brain gets tangled with fairly often. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the biggest thing to me. I mean, he's he's like a hillbilly Buddha or something, Willie. You know? <laughs> yeah. His naturalism, I think, is unsurpassed uh, in, uh, yeah. in American music. I would agree. Up in the morning, out on the job, work like the devil for my pay. And that lucky old son ain't got nothing to do but roll around heaven all day. Here's another thing that I learned from Willie. It dovetails with what I was talking about with Allison about her authenticity. Um, the first record that I produced on Willie, uh, I, both of these records are with this uh, co-produced with a gentleman named Buddy Cannon, who's a brilliant a record producer for many years in Nashville for decades. And the first one was was a Gershwin. It's called Summertime, and it was Willie sings Gershwin. And that that record happened because Willie was being given the Gershwin Prize, uh, the Gershwin Prize for Popular Song, which is a, a congressional honor that's given every year in Washington, D.C. to a songwriter, but like to the songwriters, you know, to Carol King and Paul Simon and James Taylor and those, you know. And so Willie received it. And and the first record we did, we, we put out as sort of a companion to that. We cut the basic tracks in L.A. Uh, with a small group, and then we added stuff afterwards. And I remember hearing Willie, I don't remember what the song was, but these were all Gershwin classics, right, standards. So I remember the first, the first line of the first song that he sang and it was just it it just about knocked me over that it, it instantly we had cut these you know we had worked on these tracks and and they were these sort of jazz songs and I had done all these arrangements but the minute Willie started singing it it became a Willie Nelson song mm. and it it didn't sound like Willie trying to be anybody but Willie yet it was like wow like it sounds like like that's exactly the way this song is meant to be sung and I think great artists. I'll do that. Uh, you know, I've worked, Lyle, love it. You know, Lyle has this, a similar quality is, you know, Lyle can't really be anybody but Lyle when he sings, you know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be, but, you know, I don't believe that he can be. He has, he's, he has such a, uh, a singular voice and Willie's the same way that whatever the song is, when Lyle sings it, it's Lyle, you know, accentuate the positive, this old, you know, this old standard. I mean, it just, he made it his so immediately. To me, that's a, that's a great, again, it's the similar thing. It's, it's an amazing lesson in, I don't have to be anybody, but who I am. And that's, you know, that's a trick sometimes, you know, I mean, it's not like that's, that's always easy to just like be a hundred percent authentic, but, um, it's something to strive for. It's so laid back. Your version of of accentuate the positive with Lyle Lovett, with whom you've worked for for what thirty years now? Yeah, thirty plus years. Yeah, man, it's it's so laid back. It's still upbeat, but so right. chill. You got to accentuate the positive. Eat 
reason I didn't uh, I chose to not track with any other instruments but drums is is to give me the freedom like knowing that Jay and I Jay and I were going to connect period you know wherever it was we were going to be on the same wavelength it's just it's just the way we play together but then harmonically rhythmically I can I can go anywhere I've worked with amazing bass players but you know the minute I add another player, be it a bass player, a guitar player, whatever, then something has to be decided. You know, more has to be decided. Aha. Uh-huh. And I liked the idea that of making decisions in real time based on what's happening and then and then wrapping <laughs> other music around that after the fact. And then it sounds on purpose. <laughs> right. It's interesting now that I'm thinking about it. So if it's just you and drums, you retain that ability to improvise because you're not locked into any sort of changes. You're yeah. not locked into anything except what I would assume is a fairly loose beat and yourself. Yeah, and, and we always had a, a skeleton of an arrangement so the singer would not get the rug pulled out from under them. But but yes, harmonically, you know, if it's a playing an F chord, well I could play a D minor, I could play an F over A, I could, you know, I could whatever. I could I could harmonically reharmonize on the spot just based on what I'm feeling in the moment. And that's a that's a you know, a real luxury, I think, in a recording situation. And it ta- you know, a guy like Jay is so um, in tune with the singer, with whoever he's playing with, that that his, you know his responses in real time were always. I mean, it was just I would kind of adjust something or change something, and he was right with me. Just and similarly, he might start something that just fed me exactly what I needed to take it to a great place. Let's move to Wade in the Water. Yeah, because you got the Blind Boys of Alabama, who just another legendary Americana group. I saw them do uh, the gospel at Colonus oh, at the Apollo God. Theater with Charles Dutton. Oh, incredible. Uh, and just to see them, simply the act of them walking on stage, leading each other. Yeah. To see yeah. that that old chestnut, the blind leading the blind, actually <laughs> carried out visually really takes your breath away. It, it, it was a quite a powerful experience. And these gentlemen are so in tune. It's, oh, yeah. uh, it's remarkable. I think a lot of, a lot of our listeners will know them, uh, from the wire where they right. did. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. They did one of the, yeah. the versions of that, uh, theme song down in a hole. If you walk with Jesus, you'll save your soul. Gotta keep the devil down in the hole. What a powerful force they are as a group, and I'm interested in hearing about your experience with them. The Warren Treaty, who sang that song with us, Wade in the Water. I've always been, I've been always been a fan of, uh, you know, of old gospel music and that song in particular. It had occurred to me that that might be a cool song for this record, but I hadn't really fleshed out like who would do it, how we'd do it. So it was just sort of back there. So we just went and, and went for it. And, and that was the first thing we played. But I just started playing and then Jay jumped in and then they started singing and that was that. So we got this amazing this amazing track and you know all of these songs as far as overdubs i didn't i didn't push anything i just i would i would periodically go and listen out in my studio and see if something 
came to me really strongly. And then if it didn't, I, you know, I wouldn't really do any overdubbing until that happened. The bass was an obvious one, so uh, I put I put the bass on an amazing gentleman named uh, named Dennis Crouch, and then it occurred to me because I'd been thinking about it needs some background. So I was my first thought was let's put a cool group together, like of a bunch of uh, you know men and women, six, eight, whatever, that I know that are all great and notable singers. And, but then I again I sort of had a flash one night listening to the song that the, really the greatest thing for this would be an old gospel quartet. You know, you talked about Roseanne. I, I know Roseanne and John quite well. And John Leventhal had just produced a record on Mark Cohn, on Mark Cohn and the Blind Boys of Alabama together. Mm. And I had read about it and I'd heard a little bit of it and was really excited about it. And I thought, wait a second, what about the Blind Boys? So I got in touch with John. John led me to the Blind Boys manager. He wrote back and he said, this sounds like a great project. If there's any way you could be in Muscle Shoals on this date, they're all going to be there um, working on another project, overdubbing for another project, and we could tack you onto that session. I looked at my calendar. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% there. So I drove. I brought the hard drive and drove to Muscle Shoals and recorded the Blind Boys at Fame uh, in, in Muscle Shoals. And they, you know, they had the track ahead of time and they obviously knew the song, but they worked on it and we just had fun. We just, we tried a bunch of stuff and they were fantastic. And, uh, and it, uh, it wound up being, you know, just, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that I got them on it uh, for who they are, but I just love how it sounds when they come in. It just it makes me smile every time. <laughs> Let's keep swimming around in this album just a little longer. Right. Um, I'd love to hear about this cover of the police's spirits in the material world. Yes. It's one now, of my favorites. It's really interesting that you've, you've achieved a convincing down tempo version of this song. <laughs> uh, one that I believe is even in a major key. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Green is the gentleman who sang that song. So Charlie is this really incredible, uh, incredibly talented singer-songwriter from Los Angeles, lives in Echo Park. He came to Nashville, He's and he played me a handful of songs on the piano, and it was such, the songs he had written, such interesting and unique music, and I loved how he sang, and he kind of looks like the Marlboro Man. It's like he had the whole package. And so we decided to make a record together. We made an EP that was a couple years ago. In the meantime, this record started... We had a process. My wife, she's sort of the A&R department for this, for Matt Rawlings Mosaic. Sure. So we knew we wanted to have Charlie on the record, but we couldn't figure out a song. And he was thinking of songs, and I was trying to think of songs, and none, none of them were right. We just knew instinctively, right? So we were on vacation, a break on the tour, and, and we're driving, my wife and son and I were driving uh, south, uh, down the 101, headed back towards L.A., and we're listening to, to satellite radio, and on comes spirits in the material world by the police 
And I swear, my wife and I looked at each other at the same time and went, Charlie, we just mm -hmm. like, it was like, a, like, oh my God, there's the song. And immediately in my head, it just felt like this song, because the lyric, there's a real, uh, you know, if you listen to the lyric, it's, it's, it's current, you know, <laughs> applicable. Oh, it's, it's you know, wildly current. It's wildly applicable and current. So, so I just, in my head, started arranging this song. And the minute we got to our friend's house, she has a piano, I just sat down and played and came up with this vibe and made a little work tape of it, sent it to Charlie. He loved it. And that was that. And again, we just cut it with Charlie and Jay and myself. Similarly, we put Dennis Crouch on bass. And then I just, I started messing around at home on Logic with string samples, just thinking, man, like right at the end of the first chorus where that little line comes in again, I want to hear cellos. I want to hear strings playing this. And I just started messing around. And, uh, and I loved it. So I handed it off to my friend, Chris Wilkinson, who's a just... Uh, one of the most amazing uh, string arrangers, orchestrators, and composers that I've ever met. And she orchestrated this string arrangement I had done. You know, we went and cut it. I just went, we just went for it, you know, and it, yes, I, I love it. It's, I think, I think it's so, uh, I play it for people and I see how quickly, if they don't really know, you know, people who are police fans, the minute they hear there is no political solution, they, they're going to know the song. But, but, you know, people who just know the chorus, you know, who are familiar with the police in that way, takes them a while to figure out what song it is. Sure. Have no faith in constitution There is no bloody revolution We are spirits We are spirits We are spirits In the material world Uh, and again, it's it's this surprising shift once you get the hook that that yeah. is quite effective and pleasant. Yeah, and I changed it. I mean, I rather than we are spirits in the material world, you know, right. we are spirit. Just having that happen and and not saying in the material world until the end of the chorus. Yeah, you don't have to pretend it's 1985 and yeah. do a fade out and <laughs> repeat the chorus. Right. Um, <laughs> you wear a lot of different hats: pianist, yeah. songwriter, arranger, producer. What is different when you're working as a sideman or, let's say, in aid of another artist as to when it's your own project? Is there a shift in priorities there? Is there a shift in focus? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it in aid of. I look at it as sort of service is the word that I that I would use is that, you know, when I'm hired by someone to be a part of their music, you know, my focus is that I'm in service of of them, the artist, of, of the producer of the song. When I'm an artist, there's an element of that as well. Um, I'm in, still in service of the song, but it's it shifts. I guess my just my uh, just my lens shifts in that way. When somebody hires me to to play on a record, like there's a certain sort of uh, scaffold or structure that gets put into place. What's my job in, in this? And it's different for every record and for every artist, but. But it's important that I, if I don't already know it, that I figure it out. What is my role in this? What's my, you know, what am I being hired for? Because we have such a long history and there's such a trust. When I play on a Lyle Lovett record, I've been, I'm really encouraged by him to stretch. He likes when I come up with something weird and it can be a part of the record. Like he wants that. Other artists, that's not a part of my job. Versus when I'm an artist, 
my real job is, you know, how can I be as true to myself and true to this piece of music I've chosen to record as I can, whatever that means. The leap is not necessarily knowing all of what that means, but but the focus being, you know, I'm here to make something beautiful that 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 is as close to my truth as as possible. And there's an element of that as a side man. Of course, I want to I want to play my truth. I want to occupy that. But there are, like I said, there's there are uh, you know different boundaries around it when I'm when I'm a side man. You live in Nashville now. You cross genres a lot. You work with yeah. a lot of different people who play a lot of different kind of music. Do you feel like country is your home aesthetic? So I lived 20 years in Nashville from 86 to 06 was my first stint. I got there in 1986 right when the sort of new, I guess it was a, you know, there was definitely a a new wave of artists. Randy Travis was sort of at the beginning of all that. And I played on Keith Whitley's big records before he died. Trisha Yearwood. I played on a thousand plus records in the 90s and early 2000s. And that era was, you know, was very, very song centric, like songwriters were just a huge part of that. And there were tons of them here and they were all writing and all getting cuts and all collaborating. And it was a real vibrant time in country music. And, you know, country has never been my background. I didn't come from that background. I came from a jazz background but also from a, a very healthy appreciation for commercial music and a very, um, a very real love for, for rhythm, you know, for playing rhythm on the piano, for playing groove music. And so, you know, I was able to bring all that into that era of country music. And uh, I learned a lot. I learned about traditional country music, but I was also able to bring parts of my sort of jazz background and parts of my, you know, like stuff that I learned from listening to Elton John and all that stuff. And it, and that, kind of set me apart from other pianists. Um, it, <laughs> it's hard to say what my home, I don't know that I have a stylistic home. You know, what I've dis- what I'm discovering making this record and and doing more and more sort of artist-driven work is that I've got all of that stuff. There's there's definitely influence country inf- country sort of soul influence uh, in me and jazz and you know, it's a it's a definitely a, a mishmash. been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard the Blind Boys of Alabama performing Way Down in the Hole, and we heard the following clips from Steinway artist Matt Rawlings' forthcoming album, Matt Rawlings' Mosaic. Stay, That Lucky Old Son, Accentuate the Positive, Wade in the Water, and Spirits in the Material World. Matt Rawlings' Mosaic is available August 14th, Visit mattrawlings.com to learn more. Our intro and outro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, Editor-in-Chief at listenmusicculture.com. Questions for the podcast can be sent to info at steinway.com with the subject heading Soundboard. Thank you for listening.